Yo, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to the first episode of the PTCG Hotline. My name is JanksTCG. I'm having a good day, also known as Will. I don't know if you know. Today, we have the first episode of PTCG Hotline. With that being said, I'm super excited for this. I'm super excited for the podcast, the opportunity that I have to present to you guys. And today, we are joined by the one and the only reigning world champion, Henry Brand. Pleasure to be here, Jenks. Pleasure to be here on the hotline, uh, joining you here, helping you out. I think it's going to be a good, interesting experience. I'm pretty excited. Absolutely. I know I'm excited, as I've said a plethora of times. This podcast derived from the Fortnite hotline, which was derived from the League hotline, and now you and I are continuing it into the Pokemon trading card game. I'm psyched. I am Kane. I'm going to see what viewers have to say. Uh, it'll be an interesting experience. I think we're going to see some interesting topics. We have a lot of contention. It's been a lot of uh, strong opinions being thrown around in the last month or so over Twitter. So it'll be interesting to see if we get some of those kind of, uh, kind of, I guess, yeah, topics to talk about. But why don't we start with Players' Cup 2? Absolutely. Players' Cup 2, definitely the talk of the town. I made a tweet today. Good laugh for anyone that saw it. It's a crazy experience. A lot of complaining. There's a little bit of excitement for people that are doing well. The tournament keys structure, it sounds like Pokemon listened to our complaints and did something about it. The only issue is the format is not the most enjoyable. I would say Yeah. I would say it's okay, but there seems to be a lot of complaining, a lot of dead drawing. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I think that overall obviously people complained a lot about the initial uh, setup they had like the system, but now with tournament keys, things seems to be things seem to be running a lot better. Uh, one glaring problem I have, I guess, is that not every region is able to participate, which is giving a lot of grief to those specifically in Southeast Asia, uh, those kind of regions, which is a bit unfortunate. Uh, but of course, it is like the only competitive Pokemon, like official competitive Pokemon we have uh, in general. But I think the system has improved a lot. The only problem, as you were saying, is the game itself, I guess, at the moment. And anyone who's seen my streams, I'm a little bit of a broken record on this at the moment. But I feel like, a, especially in a best-of-one environment, like a knockout best-of-one that these qualifying tournaments are, I think a lot of people are getting burnt by the way the game is. And things like ADP and Hammers has been a, the main contention people have. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a crazy world. You got ADP running wild. People hate that card. They hate the deck. They think it's oppressive. We got Crushing Hammer taking what was a decent format and turning it into I flip heads, you lose. I flip tails, I lose. A crazy experience. The latter is atrocious. These tournaments are <laughs> fun for some, not fun for others. It's a crazy world out there. There's a lot of ADP. Some of the tournaments that I've played in, just ADP into ADP into ADP. I'm not entirely surprised by that, but it's wild how things have shaped up. Yeah, and I mean, the problem is that it's pretty difficult to actually beat ADP consistently, right? So you get this kind of scenario where people don't almost think about it and then just end up playing ADP themselves. Yeah. So you, you have like almost seven or eight ADP players in each eight-man pod at this point, really, <laughs> or you you know, you, you either play ADP or you end up like trying to hit things like Decidueye, Obstagoon, which honestly doesn't even beat the deck consistently. And then you get almost in this scenario, and I think the only, the best chance... People might say I'm a little bit biased, but I think the best chance you have to actually beat ADP is probably Mewtwo. Absolutely. Decks that beat ADP, definitely going to be big contenders for this Players' Cup qualifier and probably even going into the 256 bracket. I know the only deck that I've played for these qualifier tournaments are is Mewtwo. Uh, Isaiah Bradner went ahead and sent me 
a list for it. I've been playing some events with it. I think that it's actually pretty good to beat Mewtwo. I see we're saying a little bias in the chat for Henry playing Mewtwo. I'm not surprised either, but no, this is my own opinion. I actually think Mewtwo is a solid contender. Flare, bits, Flare Blitz is super good at knocking out ADPs. Crushing Hammer ADP can be a little annoying, but you have good matchups all around. It's super versatile, has access to reset stamp, so you have comeback mechanics, and in a format where everything is rush, 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 play so fast, and not many people are playing reset stamp, it's actually something that's pretty good. Yeah, a bit of a slip from you there, Jenks. Flare bits. Uh, if anyone's got any bits, I think Jenks uh, wants you to donate them. Um, <laughs> he wants those flare bits. Uh, no, but I think it's the only deck that can, re well, reliably, obviously it's still a welder deck and you still need to hit some pieces, but it's the only deck that can somewhat consistently KO ADP uh, after their alter creation, and that's like the biggest thing. But of course, Crushing Hammer does kind of mess with that, and Crushing Hammer plagues the... Uh, the online game at the moment it's something that everyone seems to just want to throw in i think that's also a symptom of the like the online uh way we play the game at the moment there's very little stakes uh on the table right so you, you play the game you start up even on the ladder especially like you're not going to a tournament you're not spending money to travel there there's nothing on the line there's no championship points or something like that so you end up like people just play kind of whatever they want honestly at the end of the day and especially when they feel that a little bit of good luck could get uh get them the edge then they may actually play crushing hammer as we say like you're Pokemon Catcher, Crushing Hammer, things like that, is definitely getting elevated in play because of the lack of stakes and also the online kind of environment. Absolutely. And I mean, I think I've seen some other people also voice that opinion, but now that you mention it, it's not something I've put a whole lot of thought into. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's not as much stakes as you're mentioning. Even if you do qualify for the 256 bracket, I myself have experienced this, you then have to get into the top four of that bracket for each region and then play a top 16, where your reward is if you top four, you get a paid trip, but everyone else gets sleeves in a deck box. So the stakes are high at the top, but for everyone else, not so much. These online tournaments mainly playing for packs, I agree with you. It's a lot easier to just go ahead and throw in some flip cards that have some pretty powerful effects and call it a day, opposed to make a game-breaking combo. You know, with the crazy uh, period that the world is in at the moment, it's really interesting to see, you know, people going back to work, maybe full-time. I know myself included, I've put a lot more effort into work and school than Pokemon. So, mm -hmm. you know, overall, less effort being put into decks. I think that's why we see a lot of top players haven't been playing as much recently either. There's just not a whole lot of motivation or stakes on the table. Yeah, and I think that's honestly really important. And also the way that the, the tournament is structured, it's double a limb. So there's no Swiss rounds or anything. So you almost are encouraged to play a high roll deck because if you're going to make it, you have to get lucky no matter what. You, you're going to have to play well, but you're going to have to get really lucky at the end of the day. Like, it's like that to win any tournament, but even more so in a double a limb kind of situation. And so that incentivizes people to play these high roll cards at the end of the day because they think, oh, well, especially in this format, what I do doesn't matter, so I'm going to give myself the best chance to kind of get really lucky, um, which isn't necessarily the best mentality, but I definitely understand it, and I can see that being um, a big factor at the moment. And also just, we also see a different matter online as we would uh, if we had real tournaments because, as I was saying, there's nothing on the line. It's all these, like, Hexa tournaments, these casual tournaments. People are incentivized or want to play, maybe not the best deck or the most competitive, but they want to... Uh, they want to play something they're going to enjoy, right? And especially in potentially a lot of these meta decks like Eternatus, ADP, they're very linear and their games are very linear. So honestly, I, you know, you don't see yourself enjoying the games that much. They're not really interactive. And so people are encouraged to play kind of off-meta decks. And so you're going to see a large spread and variety of decks where you probably wouldn't uh, if you had real tournaments. Absolutely.
and for sure. And I now that we're now that you mentioned them, I definitely want to sidebar here. Huge, huge, huge shout out to Ethan Heggy running Hegster. Uh, I believe Aldo Absolutely. Castillo for Pokey X. We got Drayden Davis. Draven Drayden Davis. I'm gonna have some pronunciation errors. I see. And the Atlas crew for putting on their Atlas minis and their Pog championships. That was a blast. I got my playmat recently. Looked great. Amazing event. Uh, there were some hiccups, but you know this is a new era of time, so that it's bound to happen. Limitless, I just saw, is putting their qualifiers back up. Um, I don't mean to exclude anyone. Uh, Sunday Open, um, you know, any Azul, anyone running tournaments right now, bless up. Like, thank you so much for continuing the community and, you know, providing a place for players to keep that competitive fire. Absolutely. Like, I think it's obviously something really good for the community, and it's not easy to run these tournaments, right? It takes a fair bit of effort, and I think it shows a really dedication and I guess almost love for the game and the community that people want to keep hosting these things. It's easy to kind of lose motivation when there's nothing going on, but people have stuck at it, which is really impressive. Absolutely. And it's just such a crazy time. I know my motivation dipped uh, super early on when those tournaments got canceled. And it's just great to see that the online community is still thriving in a new yeah. era, new era of Pokemon. A new era indeed. <laughs> and also what has been cool is um, people are running old tournaments as well. Like everything during this pandemic has really exploded. Like I guess you'd normally have these at your locals or whatever, but it's really, I guess, increased the way that you can play the games and it's probably improved people's uh, circles within the community because you'd normally just meet people at tournaments, but now you're meeting people in online tournaments. It really, I guess, expands your social circle. Absolutely. Just getting to meet people online, that's one of the things that the Pokemon community does best, just bringing people together. I know I've met a lot of great people in my six years of playing. I'm sure you've done the same. You know, with international travel that I've been, you know, gifted to do, it's been super cool to meet people from all over the world, learn about different cultures, and, you know, hopefully it returns soon in a safe manner so that we can get back to playing this. So, Crushing Hammer. I know you hate flip cards. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on Crushing Hammer specifically? I saw that Luke Morsa uploaded a video today. I didn't get the chance to watch it. Wants to ban it, I think, or voicing the opinion. What are your thoughts on Crushing mm -hmm. Hammer? Um, well, I don't know. Okay, so I think that the last three sets have had a, a very concerning trend in terms of problematic cards. So they've reprinted. So we started in Sword and Shield. This is like excluding even Pokemonization. They've had, let's just talk about trainers. They had Crushing Hammer and Pokemon Catcher in base sword and shield and then they released boss's orders and then they released turbo patch so there's been a concerning trend in the last three sets and a bunch of other things as well like the other cards but i think crushing hammer in general it's like in the past it's never been broken right people wouldn't play it in decks because it wouldn't do anything it would take up four deck spots that you actually need but now there's so much like almost over consistency that you can almost afford to play the cards right it's still not optimal I don't think, but the fact that they have such impact based on the short like length of the game and that every matchup has a game plan the way that it should go. They're almost scripted. And so Crushing Hammer like kind of takes games off script, but in a bad way. Uh, it makes things like very uh, volatile because of course it's a coin flip. And they only really impact things on the first um, turn of the game. And that's like the problem. So the fact that they're almost not only coin flip, but also you have to draw them very early on or at a very crucial point. Uh, Makes it makes the game obviously less skillful and higher volatility. Absolutely. And Turbo Patch, what a fall from grace. We expected it to be so good. I think a lot of people were scared about the card, and it just kind of turned out to be a fluke. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, the card is 
was always like looked terrible. It was just the fact that it was like almost inevitably going to get play, and it still will see play in the future because it's the only way to accelerate for a lot of things. Uh, I think it's just it's less whether it's good or not, and more that these kind of cards are unnecessary. Absolutely. All right, so it looks like we have our first caller who's here to talk about the top five best players in history. Hello, where are you? What is your name and where are you calling from? Hey, what is that? What is up? Um, I'm Charlie Locke here. Um, I'm currently in Houston right now. Awesome, Charlie. Great to have you on. So your topic, go ahead and voice it to us and give your opinion. Okay, so um, my big question here is who are the five best players in history? Um, I have varying opinions. Um, I think the first two locks, in my opinion, are Jason Klusinski and Tord Reklev. Um, their accomplishments speak for themselves. And then um, you have players like Puka, um, Takuya Yoneda, and then there's ar an arguable fifth spot for people like Sammy Sakum, more recent people. Like uh, you could give it to um, Jimmy Pendarvis or someone like that with absolutely insane accomplishments or Pram, someone like that. Uh, quick, quick uh, side note. Thanks, uh, Flex Daddy Righteous, for the raid, real quick. So we've got some more viewers into the hotline as we get our first question. So touching on the five best players in history, I think I agree. You can't really touch Jason and Tord. And I think when it comes to this list, it's important to touch on uh, international results primarily because it's hard to kind of, you know, each region would have their own opinions, and it's you got to remove regional bias as well, uh, things like that, because. I think then that'll things make things a bit more impartial. I think Pram is definitely on the list just because of how long he's been playing, uh, and just mm -hmm. still continues to do well. He's one of the only players who've been playing that long and still has managed to adjust because the skill level, a lot of people argue, has definitely increased over the years. Um, and the mm -hmm. fact that he's been able to keep up with that and obviously just still plays, um, even as the game continues to change and still finds success, I think definitely makes him worthy of the list. Absolutely. Oh, totally. I think that uh, I would have to put Busted Catron as number one on the list. I'm completely joking. But, uh, yeah, I would agree. I think that it's Tord and Jason are no-brainers. Uh, like Henry said, got to remove some regional bias. So that puts people like Stefan in contention. Uh, there's a, a ton of great players from several great regions. You could even say Gustavo Wada as one of the greatest players in oh, of yeah. all time. Um, you know, there are several great Australian players. And what I think one of the biggest issues with this question is you're taking a look at time. You know, Jason dominating three world championships in basically the pre-modern uh, pre era. So it's hard for a lot of people that didn't know him back then or maybe not even know mm. him at all could rank him there. I would definitely have to agree with Tord and uh, Jason. I think I would probably put Gustavo into mine or at least an honorable mention. Um, Stefan as well, an honorable mention or one of the best. And then Igor... Pram, really oh, totally. solid picks, and mm. um, yeah, just great players all around. But I definitely think that there are a ton of people that are up for an honorable mention slot. I think for myself personally, I'd throw Jimmy Pendarvis in there, someone that I think is just incredible at the game and has always been dominating events. But mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, that brings up um, a few questions. Like, how would you uh, value things like consistency over like the big wins? Because there's, there's people like Puka who, who never did well at worlds per se but mm -hmm. he there were like there were three nationals in a row where i think he went i think he he won either one or two nationals got second in an at, at a nationals and then i think got top four at another nationals mm -hmm. like when u.s yeah. nationals was a thousand people and then sammy sakum i think made top 32 at worlds like in the older era like eight years straight like the consistency mm -hmm. was insane 
but they, those guys never ended up with world championships. So it's interesting how people can gauge um, the big wins versus like the consistency, especially with players like Pendarvis, who has like some top eights, top 32s, but like had the streak of winning four regionals in a year and like the three in a row, which is like the most insane regional streak we'll probably ever see. Yeah, I think Chats just dropped the thing out. Ross probably as well is definitely worth oh, considering. I just completely forgot Ross. Yeah, no, Ross we all forgot Ross. Yeah. Definitely Ross. Uh, you know, he what made top four at Worlds like three times now. Absolutely. Ross has gotten two second places in a top four. Two second places in top four. Yeah, I mean that's like. And he's the you know. only person in the world to have an invite to every Worlds. Yep. So, and whilst like whilst the latter in the re- more recent seasons isn't as much of an accomplishment, there were definitely seasons such as the Elo season where you know you have to qualify based on rating um which definitely makes it an accomplishment in the past so i think ross should definitely mm-hmm. be on the list yeah. yeah it was pretty insane back then um because i also, think we're talking we have to also like cross like not only skill but also success success is really what we're measuring here because you know it's hard to you can't really compare current skill levels to the past and things like that and it's more like overall success and the fact that ross has seen continual success and just like pram how he's kept playing keeps him on the list oh totally one other thing, how would you, uh, um, I think one of the hardest things to gauge with this is how um, you'd rank the Japanese players, mostly because at least in the older era, 100%, the Japanese players were like a completely separate world from us. And they're still like mm. incredibly separate from us now, but we have a little bit more knowledge of them since some of them attend like um, some internationals on top of just coming to worlds and always placing well. Like I would, I think definitely two players, which would be Takuya Yoneda and Shintaro Ito, um, easily get um make it into the top 10 for sure like shintaro won a world championships with probably at least in my opinion the worst deck to have ever won a world championships uh-huh. and then got second at a worlds with a much better deck and um yeah and then for uh yoneda has been consistently strong at worlds all over the years um and then there's yamato of course will always get a bid i wouldn't rank him as highly but He's the one player, like, I think ever who had, like, the quote-unquote legend status at a tournament. Like, people who weren't around, like, back then, I wasn't around back then, but there were a lot of players who who said, like, the Western world thought Yamato couldn't lose after, because he had gone undefeated in the first World Championships, and then up until, like, midway through 2005 Worlds the next year was, like, the first time they had ever seen him lose. So a bunch of people put him in, like, the top 10 or whatever just because he was so, like, legendary as a player after winning the first world championships yeah i think this is a it's been it's been interesting to talk about and like touch on all the history of the game and like all the success and there's been so many players that could get a mention on top uh in the top five top 10 even you know it's hard to kind of weigh it up but it's really it's good to talk about and recognize all these success obviously as more years continue that list will expand we'll see great legends come about you know we could see henry win the second world championship in a row add to the title you know you could see tons of different stuff more incredible titles i know i was certainly excited for uh, i believe it was danny altavilla who was potentially about to win every event in the in every event type in a season if he had just won worlds last year um, so that's also really cool to see and charlie i love how you brought up the you know the western world with the regional bias, something that I didn't even consider. There's so many great players out of Japan um, that we know it's very hard to talk about because we don't actually know a whole lot other than some of the world's information. And then someone else just put in the chat that Pablo has been playing for a long time, top forward worlds way back with that Magma Groudon deck, I believe. And, you know, another great contention, but 
Absolutely. I think this is a great, great topic, and we will see more, you know, people added to the list, players to talk about in the future. But I think we have a solid name of lists, or sorry, list of names at least to go off of. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me on, guys. No problem. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, all right, so for everyone coming over from Flex Daddy's raid, thank you so much. As Henry mentioned, go ahead and join the Discord and then read the instructions on the PTCG Hotline channel, and that will get you in on the action. I'm going to go ahead and draw, uh, drag in our next caller with a really cool topic. Here we go. How's it going, my guy? What's your name, and how, where are you from? Um, my name is uh, Jacob. My username is Kazuma. And uh, my and uh, I'm from Toronto. And uh, sorry, let me just mute the stream. Um, and uh, and uh, my topic is um, the type of new cards or reprints that could be printed to improve or add flavor to the format. Absolutely. That's a great topic. I really like that. I agree. That's and, an amazing topic. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, yeah, my ideas were like sort of. Um, I think there just needs to be more consistency trainers that aren't disruption or flip based. Like Marnie is a great card, but it um it, it really uh can mess up games and make them really inconsistent. Um and uh also I think there needs to be more one prize support or Pokemon. Like the fact that um everyone has to play a bunch of two prizers with low HP is really what makes ADP so powerful. Mm, I agree. I think, uh, for me, I'd like to see more cards that restrict what people can do. So, things like Garbatoxin, more like kind of lock cards to stop kind of games running out of control. We need some form of ability lock to rein in these huge kind of combos and actually give some comeback mechanics to the things. That you make a little bit more of an interesting format. Uh, also, things like maybe more search-based consistency rather than draw-based consistency because... These hard draw cards like Dedene, Crobat, Research, they are what enable these kind of quicker games and things like that and enable larger combos, whilst actually reducing consistency in a way because you're trying to pull off these ridiculous kind of plays. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I can agree with that. I think that an end reprint would be super strong. Um, yep. I think we're in a we're super far into the draw stuff. You know, Power Plant isn't even limiting you from drawing cards now with Crobat. I believe Tord tweeted out or mentioned on stream a card that was kind of like block all effects of your trainers or something done to Pokemon. So that would prevent some of the gust effects going around like Boss's Order, Pokemon Catcher, would prevent Crushing Hammer. I think that could be pretty cool. Um, like Henry mentioned as well, Garbotoxin could be quite strong. There's a lot of cool cards we could use. I think this format's missing a control archetype that would be really cool to see um, another thing is these like you mentioned uh, jacob these two prize pokemon are just you know they're kind of there they're our draw pokemon and i think something that's a big letdown looking into vivid voltage i think i have my information correct on this is these amazing rare cards uh, at least when i looked at them they have these crazy attack costs and you know some of them are quite strong but for the attack cost they're not amazing you have adp that still exists and i think you're completely right we just don't have one prize two prize pokemon that are you know crazy good outside of zacian that can deal with these huge pokemon and i think with the tag team era and the vmax era you know we've kind of gone too far almost mm. so yeah yeah they just really aren't printing um good uh counters or cards that can compare to the uh, to a lot of the tag teams especially the ridiculous gx attacks 
now that Pokemon don't have GX attacks, it's um, it's a lot harder to balance them against things like ADP. Mm-hmm. I see Alex yeah, in definitely. chat is mentioning a Garbodor with something like 30 times, uh, I would assume, per item. That could help with a little bit of the speed. It would definitely punish some of these decks. Uh, obviously, ADP would still be an issue with Altered Creation, but you know a lot of these decks are all in. You don't get punished for your discards. You got to go fast. So maybe some controlling cards that slow down the format a little bit would help out um, because we're just in such a fast format where games end so fast. Yeah, I think Ability Lock would be really great. Even something like Wobbuffet, honestly. The old Wobbuffet that, when it was active, by Barricade stops both players using non-psychic type abilities. That'd be kind of good. Something just kind of slow down and stop decks relying so heavily on like discard draw engines through Dene or Crobat, things like that. Mm-hmm. Also, a strong yeah. fighting or Pokemon or archetype. I don't think from Vivid Voltage anything is too impressive. Um, you know, Turbo Patch is going to be probably pretty big next set, or it's just going to be another letdown. What are your thoughts on that, Jacob? Yeah, I think um, one of the reasons Eternatus and uh, ADPZ are probably the two best decks and format are like there's nothing um good that um they're weak against um like like there's no good fairy types and very few good fighting types um and obviously they're not going to solve the fairy thing but some fighting types or as you guys were saying anything that can turn off Eternatus's ability reliably would really help against those cards and something... Yeah, I'm interested to see what Colossal VMAX does to the format, because I think that card's actually not too bad. Oh, it's yeah, quite true. strong. Um, so we'll have to see how that kind of pans out. But even then, that kind of deck, can, which is relying on really big uh, HP and the re- reducing damage from stone energy, they can still lose to three attacks from ADP. So it's going to have to see how that matchup pays out. And even just, like, Colossal would be a kind of Pokemon that would be pretty good. It's got a one energy attack. And if it had something like Garbodor to combine it with, it could actually be a pretty strong kind of slower tempo deck. And I think that's really what we need in the format, some cards to slow the tempo down. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, another thing that you mentioned that really sucks is no fairy types. So Ultra Crate, or sorry, ADP becoming super dominant, uh, not that it wasn't already, but something that we saw with at least something Henry did in his Galaxy Mewtwo deck was he had that Xerneas Prism card that was actually quite good at combating ADP because if they GX, you can go ahead and just go into it and knock out the opposing Pokemon. But with fairy types not being printed anymore, ADPs in format, it's definitely a little scary. And I don't think there's anything in the current format, at least, that can kind of solve that. So assuming we don't see an ADP ban or something, we're going to have to deal with it. And I think we've touched on some good good concepts. We need stuff that's going to slow down the format. We need stuff that's going to weaken some of these top decks and overall cards that punish this super aggressive play. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, thanks a lot for your question uh, and topic, Jacob. We really liked it. Uh, yeah, thank you. You had some good ideas as well, so yeah. Glad to yeah. have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of you both. No problem. Thank you, Jacob. Have a good one. Have a good day. All right, so our next caller, Ian Robb. Kind of a legend. Regional winner with Galissapod Zorark Lurantis. I do want to try and stray away from questions like these, but since it's the first episode, I'm going to go ahead and let it go. I believe Ian has raked up quite a few keys with this. So actually, this question is quite interesting. As a Picaron player, just a little hint there myself, I'm quite interested to see what Mr. Rob has to say. I'm going to go ahead and drag him in. How's it going, Ian? What's your name, and where is your where are you from? Uh, I'm Ian Rob. I'm from Warwick, Rhode Island. Awesome. And what is your topic? I want to talk about why Picaram is the best second format currently. 
Okay, so P right. BDIF, what's the opinion and how did you rake up this incredible amount of tournament keys or sorry, tournament rep with all fifty keys spent? Let us hear it. Uh, I definitely like, so when I sing out the format, I thought that Pico's Picorom was horrible. I was talking to Aaron Freeman, he's like, and eh, that's like kinda okay. So I decided to try it and like all every matchup feels a lot better than you would expect. It's like a forty five fifty five deck, but every matchup is actually most decks dead draw a lot more than you. So usually you come favorable because you don't dead draw. Mm -hmm. Now tell me, are you playing Crushing Hammer? No, that card's horrible. What a hero. That card is actually <laughs> one of the worst cards ever created. I don't understand why people are playing it. It's four blank cards. <laughs> so Everyone in chat, thank you. Thank you, Ron, please. Thank you. <laughs> I'll save you. So Ian, I have some questions about this. I saw you post on Twitter earlier today or yesterday that you have spent all 50 keys... And you have acquired 106, I believe, uh, tournament rep. Correct me if I'm wrong. What was the motivation to grind it out within the first couple days of the event starting? Pikaram, you said, is 50, 50, or sorry, 45, 55 around the board. And how are you playing some of these matchups in order to make that possible? Um, honestly, I felt like I was having much more fun than I have been in a very long time playing the game. So I was very motivated to play as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why. Usually I didn't plan on doing 50, but it ended up happening. Um, like, matchups, you would think, like, the ADP matchup is bad, but, like, you can basically play their game where, like, you get three KOs in three turns. Better than them most of the time, actually. Mm -hmm. And, like, against Eternus, it's basically the same thing where, like, you just go reset stamp, right you, right you. Those are the two big matchups that are sketchy, but because they dead draw so much, you just get so many free wins. So, from someone that's from a testing group that loves Picaram, I, I don't understand. So, I know I tested this for the Pog format. We had Electro Power, but then rotation hits. There's no more Electro Power. We saw Isaiah Bradner bust out a concept for some Hexter events with some Zigzagoons and, you know, stuff like that. We got, I think he played one or two Vika Volts. How are you playing the deck to do this? It, it doesn't make sense to me because you can play the their game but your attacks just don't do that much damage. I agree with you that Paralyzed Stamp is incredibly powerful. Yeah, Reset Stamp is honestly one of the best cards in this format currently. I can agree. Mm -hmm. But, like, um, it's just that, like, every matchup is you're able to, um, they can't one-shot, like, ADP, they can't one-shot a Picaram if you have a big charm on it. Mm -hmm. Also, they play Tool Scrapper, which not many people in these tournaments are playing Tool Scrapper. Mm -hmm. Okay. And with goons, you can do a setup a play where you can full blitz the ADP, and then when they knock out your Dedene, you can just boss up the position they powered up, and then get knockout with a goon net goon. You just get five prizes, and if you reset stamp them, they usually can't recover. And you're finding that the deck is quite consistent. Yes, just four switch, four net, four drachi. You almost never die draw. I would I would say this is a hot topic if I've ever heard one. Henry, what are yeah. your thoughts on this? Um, I think it's a hot topic for the hotline. Uh, <laughs> I don't. My only issue I have with the deck is, as you said, decks a uh, decks dead draw a lot. Uh, I haven't found that too much when I've been playing. I think the main concern I'd have playing the deck is that, as you're saying, I feel like I'm also le almost leaving the game a lot in my opponent's hands. Uh, you know, they have to draw badly, or I guess almost a lot of the times you might not notice because now skill is much more loaded into sequencing. So I could see them playing poorly and sequencing causing them to draw bad. But if that if that is the case, then I see the deck maybe having worse matchups against better players who might not break as much, might not sequence poorly. 
Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that better players play better against Pekaron than the average? Um, I, I would say, honestly, probably yes, but I think definitely right now, um, Peel is still not a expected deck. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of times where, at least decks, like, if they brick for one turn, you capitalize and you just win the game off of it by getting ahead on the prize trade. And usually you can easily get a turn one, turn two full blitz. So it's more they have to make sure they actually draw anything because you're almost almost 100% of the time you're getting attack off. There you go. Do you think the surprise factor is factoring into a lot of the wins? Um, I think it's probably more of my opponents playing really bad lists and somehow fitting Turbo Passion Crushing Hammer into their turn as lists. Mm. Yeah. I think I think it's definitely preying upon a lot of the bad lists at the moment, the greedy things. And Pigrom's another deck that doesn't suffer as much against Crushing Hammer as other things, um, which is honestly yeah. a big a big draw card for it. So then from chat, someone said, why wouldn't you just play ADP? So why Pikram versus, or just instead of ADP? Uh, deck's much more consistent, where you get that access to four Jirachi, and you almost, like, just the dead draw aspect, that's the biggest part. So theoretically, like, could you build ADP yeah. with Jirachis? It's not really the same process, though, because you have to, there's so many more pieces you need. Mm-hmm. While like you can you get to play the Drachi engine in a deck that wants to be able to like switch all the time. Or the way I see it th- though the way I see it is that I don't see too much of a benefit between playing a deck that wins if your opponent draws suboptimally compared to playing a deck that wins if you draw optimally. I feel like they're both the same side of like the statistics. I mean obviously one's gonna be slightly larger than the other, but I feel like it's the same kind of almost you're just going for a different different kind of way to win. Um, I see it more as like the deck will win if you do it does its thing, but like other decks, um, can be something like it's just very it's just very close. Like every matchup again goes down to do they hit that one energy? Like do they hit certain amount of like metal saucers? It's like very um, it's just very draw dependent dependent, which I think is most of this format, honestly. Yeah, no, it and is for sure. I, yeah, it's just a deck I found the most where your your opponent draws well, you can still usually win. Yeah, I think I will say that Pigram is probably one of the highest skill cap decks at the moment. Uh, now that it's not just kind of hit turn on full blitz with a bunch of E powers, and the high roll potential of Pika has gone down a lot, but the skill cap has kind of remained there. It's definitely one of the more, I guess, skillful decks you can play at the moment. So then, Ian, moving on from Pikaram, I think you've got chat a little riled up. I think they're ready to dust off the Pikarams. I think this is actually really cool that you brought this on here. I want to talk to you about the tournament rep. So. Did you, you did qualify with 106, or, or sorry, you did uh, acquire 106, right? It's like 128, I think. Mm-hmm. So then, like what are you thinking will be that qualification range for the 256? Um, I don't really know, honestly. It's probably going to be somewhere in the like low like 100 to like 80, I would say. I think people are over, at least the like, t- groups I've talked in, is I think people are overestimating how much you need, honestly. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's definitely difficult to qualify, you know, with a lot of top eights not rewarding points uh there are people that are averaging like two something points per thing which i guess ian that would technically be what you've done so i think it was two point oh, it's about like 2.5 exactly yeah all right well i like the topic ian thanks for coming on and we're gonna go ahead and drag our, our next caller well guys you heard it here first on the pdtg hotline you got a hot topic pikaram bdif was not expecting that one Jay Sparks, he says, uh, 
Thanks, Ian, for making the meta peak in Nohammers. Looking forward to free wins. <laughs> Definitely a hot take for the hotline. Uh, chat's all riled up, but what's the next one we got, Jenks? The next one we got is the man, the myth, the legend. Before I drag him in, once again, if you guys have a topic to po- talk about, instead of putting it in chat, join the waiting room, put your topic in the podcast topics. We'd love to talk about it. Better to join in and, sorry, bring in the man, the myth, the legend. Here he is. What's your name and where are you calling from, my guy? Yo, what's going on? My name is Alex Garcia, the guy with two hats, and normally I would be calling from New York, but right now I'm in Tennessee, actually. Ooh. Long story, but yeah. Interesting. So, norm- so normally, yeah, so right now I'm in Tennessee. Well, the guy with two hats, how's your day going? It's actually been pretty cool, not gonna lie. Grinding some tournament rep, having some candy. Like, I actually got a little bit of fun dip right here, haven't had that stuff in years. Probably shouldn't. Because it's not going to be your teeth, but no leaks. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll keep it on the we'll keep it on the the download here, Alex. So, what do you got to talk to us today? So, I want to talk about BDIF matchup spreads. Because mm-hmm. over the years, I've definitely noticed the clear, definitive best deck in the format usually doesn't have the best matchup spread over overall. Generally speaking, ADP in the in the not Sun and Moon, the Sword and Shield format. Doesn't count. That doesn't count. That that part was unfair at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But let's go back to stuff like 2017 Worlds, 2018 Worlds, uh, 2017 to 2018 at the very beginning. Let's talk about the beginning of the 2018 to 2019 season and throughout, even when there were clear BDIFs that really did not have good matchup spreads. Examples mm-hmm. of this are definitely Pikaram. Buzzgarb Shrine definitely lost all of its good matchups, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Zoroark lost so many good matchups in by the time of the World Championships. In fact, I would argue that most of the matchups were bad. <laughs> Gardevoir was usually slightly unfavored in most of its matchups in 2017 Worlds and after that, after rotation, even though it didn't lose that much as well. Yeah. Well, I think there's a very, uh, I think there's a pretty simple reason for this. Uh, and what ends up happening is that the decks with the best matchup spreads uh, are the, obviously the best deck in format, but what that means is that it's the strongest deck in format. So what ends up happening is that people end up trying to build the decks to beat it because they have to, because otherwise the deck won't beat it. Counter decks kind of pop up, and that's uh, that's what gives it the bad matchup spreads. But it remains the BDIF, and we touched kind of a bit like on what Ian was talking about, how, about how you know if other decks miss a beat, his deck is more consistent and it's going to win. That's usually what happens with best deck in formats. Their strategies are so like inherently strong. These counter decks or the bad matchups can be fine because they might be less consistent, they might be less powerful, and so if anything goes slightly wrong in their game plan, often that can uh, lead to a win um, for what you talk about is the best deck in format. Because I noticed, I remember so many counter decks to Zoroark coming up in the 2017-2018 format. There were Glaceon decks, there were random fighting decks, even Buzzwool, which was one of the best decks in the format, was in my opinion, still a semi-counter deck in a way. And even then, it, by, the, by the time of Worlds, we saw that it just couldn't keep up. Not even a single one made top eight. And for fair reason, just other... Just Zoroark was more consistent overall. Just the power of trade was so good. Gardevoir, yeah. even, though, even though it had an unfavorable matchup against stuff like Espeon Garb, if they ever missed a beat, and they did fairly often because of their natural inconsistency, Gardevoir GF just steamrolled them. Yeah, definitely. And same thing with Pikaram last year, I remember in the Sun Moon to team up format, 
did not have any good matchups whatsoever. And it still just was better than everything else. I'm gonna have yeah. to disagree. That. I'm gonna have to disagree there. I think Pikaram, although it had a lot of 50-50s, it definitely had good matchups. Bocephalon GX being one of them for sure. Uh, I think Alex, a lot of these decks that you know they don't have the quote-unquote best matchup spreads it actually comes down a lot to the player skill. I feel like if a player that has a ton of experience with the deck, you know, maybe even a top top player has put countless hours into it knows the ins and outs we even see people that just specialize in a certain deck um i think that the skill in which you play the deck kind of pushes as those pushes those advantages to where i'd argue that a lot of matchups actually come down to how much you know the deck how well you're able to play it and maybe even if your uh, your opponents aren't as knowledgeable in the matchup because as a peak round player uh, at least in that format and even Drampa Garb in 2017 when I played at Worlds, I felt like I was in control of a lot of my games, and I felt completely confident in most of the matchups I entered. What are your thoughts? Okay, to be, I gotta be honest with you. In my opinion, Bocephalon GX did not count as a top deck in that format. <laughs> I'm gonna be really honest, it never felt great. But I, but my, my opinion on that, the whole peek around thing is that that piece was never that great of a matchup. It was always pretty unfavored. Zoroark, if they played the Lucario line, which I would say about 60% of them did at the time. People people loved Stefan's list. It could have gotten pretty tricky. Zoroark did have its natural inconsistencies in that format. So Pikaram could beat it. But generally speaking, you had to be very wary as the Pikaram player. And it definitely did not feel great. Well, I think... That's interesting. So as you were saying, with Zoroark with Lucario was definitely a like a rough matchup. But the deck on the whole, like Pika, that was probably the most skillful version of Pika there ever was. Because it was almost the lightning toolbox, right? It was a lot less focused on Pika. You only used one per game most of the time. And a lot of matchups, and you focused a lot more on Z uh, Zapdos and other things earlier on. And I think the Zap-based matchup was never that bad if you played Wobbuffet. Um, because what you could do is just... Uh, Wobbuffet, they can't use Coco Prism to use Coco GX as a response. And then you set up Tag Bolt to skip Sledgehammer. And that usually gave you a pretty good way to win. Um, it wasn't perfect, but it was like made the matchup pretty close to even, I reckon, given that you had Zapdos as well. And obviously you could like change your list to like play three Zapdos and a stretcher in Pikaram of your like your own. There's a lot of ways you could kind of combat the matchup. So I think in that that format, Pika had very few like bad matchups outside of deliberate counter decks. That is, that is a fair point. Back in the day, I did go out of my way to kind of counter Zapdos by playing the... I'm pretty sure I did play triple Zapdos and Stretcher to a regional at one point. It was pretty darn good. But even then, it felt sketchy against Zapdos, just because, in, generally speaking, they did have an inherent advantage against you. The fact that it, one little thing that you did went wrong, then it was over. I'm going to have to agree with Chad on this one. Once again, I felt favored in a lot of those matchups. The Zorark matchups, if they were playing the Lucario and the Lycanroc line, like you mentioned with Stefan, their deck tended to be slightly more inconsistent. And then, yes, though, I will admit that was a bad matchup, but I felt completely confident against the Zorark Lycanroc matchup. Zapis, also another close matchup, but uh, as someone mentioned, the Wobbuffet was another crucial card there. So, you know, there were, I think that a lot of the matchups were, in fact, uh, positive for that and even for stuff like drampa garb you know deciduous uh vile plume wasn't an awful matchup and i also think that 2017 as a whole was more of a 50 50 format so i'll give you that one and then i think you mentioned it at the start but i'm assuming this argument doesn't apply to the current format well yeah it doesn't yeah sorry words it doesn't 
it doesn't comply to the current format, generally speaking, because there isn't really a BDIF in this format. I wouldn't say ADP is a true BDIF. I wouldn't say Eternatus is a true BDIF. I don't think there will be a true BDIF, in fact. <laughs> yeah, I think... So ADP, I think a lot of people generally agree, is the best taken format. The problem is that the reason at the moment the 50-50s aren't the type of 50-50s we used to have. So we used to have kind of skill-based 50-50s almost, whereas now a 50-50 means one of us is going to miss and the other isn't, and then that's who wins in the 50-50, right? So like kind of most of the time, or who goes first, second, that kind of thing. Um, and that's what kind of creates a 50-50, whereas in the past it was more, you know, who plays better. But now um, with ADP, the reason it's best second format is because if he draws better than its opponent, it's going to win pretty much every game. Uh, no matter the matchup, like against the ADP, uh, it's the Turnitus most of the time. The only matchup that it doesn't have an optimal game plan is uh, going second against Mewtwo. Uh, but even then, if it goes first, it can still have a pretty uh, pretty good chance to win. Hot take, Surge is broken in ADP. <laughs> Absolutely broken. Well, I, think, I think it's pretty good for those bad matchups, I agree. If you guys want to <laughs> learn about Alex's ADP Surge, I believe there is a video on Pablo's YouTube channel, Tablemon, over on YouTube. Alex, I'm going to wrap it up on that topic so we can get our next guest in. But thank you so much for appearing on the hotline. Any things you want to say before you leave? Well, just thanks for having me on. No That's problem. all I got to say. Thanks thank so, so much, much Alex. Alex. Have a good day. Wait, can you dab for me? One of you guys. <laughs> I did it. I did it. The there next. You, Alex. The man, the myth, the legend. I don't know if we're ready for this one. This this is this is this is a good one. Another one of those this is the BDIF type deck. An article was just posted on this. We got mm -hmm. the man, the myth, the legend. How's it going? Where are you calling from and what's your name? Yo, what's up? Uh I'm Michael Catron from Maryland. Michael Catron, the god himself, the one, the only, Dragapult King. The new article in Poker Beach. I think I just leaked your topic. What's your topic and what's your opinion? Uh, yeah, Dragapult. I would want to talk about how it's a, a tier one deck that uh, everyone thinks is pretty bad. All right. All right. Well, you got the spotlight here on the PDCG Tron line. So give us a rundown. All right. So Dragapult is very strong right now. It's taking favorable matchups against Eternatus, uh, close matchup versus ADP, if not favorable. Uh, Luke Metal's good if you're playing Mallow and Lana and Tool Scrapper. Well, you don't even need Mallow and Lana, just Tool Scrapper, really. But uh, that's a good matchup. Your only really bad matchup is Center Scorch. Everything else is pretty favorable. So, I, like, I don't really know why people aren't playing it. It's just free dubs. Okay, you've said some interesting stuff. How are you making a turn that's very favorable? So, you start the game, and you're not going to like what I say here. Um, if they, so the beginning of the game starts and if you hit a hammer heads on the energy, then you can just have a really far lead. But if you right, don't, we got a problem it, here already. No, listen, listen, it's okay. And if you don't, it's fine because then your strategy is to feed them a two prizer and a three prizer. And then you, uh, use Clefable, uh, other hammers, team Yelgrunt. Uh, Mewtwo to get Yelgrunt to lock them out of energies. You stamp them to one, remove all the energies off their active, and then you start using Max Phantom. And so with Clefable, their top deck is stacked. They have no energies on their active, so they can't move it. So unless the one card they get off the stamp is good, 
they are locked out of attacking for at least one, probably at least one turn just off of that. Probably two because you more than likely have more ways to move the uh, uh, remove energy through yell grunt or a second Clefable because you scoop up net it or stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you stack their deck with Clefable so they don't have draw out. So unless they got one good card off the stamp, they usually just lose the game because you get off three max phantoms, which is at that point should be enough to win you the game. For the chat, can you go ahead and explain what the Clefable does or the text on the card? Uh, Clefable removes an energy from the top, from their active and puts it on top of their deck. Okay, so basically just like a yell ground effect, but then they don't have a top deck. Yeah. Okay, so chats thinks that Lucario Melmetal, or, yeah, how does Dragapult beat Lucario Melmetal? Uh, well, they're only really, like, their big thing is the, is the Zamazenta, but that card's really not an issue. You can hit it with Jet Assault, which is 140 with the little Dragapult. And you can also shred it for 60. But uh, it also can get sniped if they don't have a goggles on it. So with Tool Scrapper, it, you just like stack damage on it with that. Uh, if you can get two horror energies on it, they take some damage from horror energy. And so that's like not a big issue because their deck's super slow and they can't even two-shot the Dragapult unless they're attacking with Zacian. So you just you just end up your trade ends up being pretty favorable even with uh with not being able to like max phantom sometimes and the damage reduction. And then your energy removal cannot like you can also make big energy removal plays later in the game where if they have they have their three energy on the active, it's not too unreasonable later in the game to remove two or even all three energies and stamp them low and then they don't get an attack off for a turn or two. So with so what you're talking about is a bit more Dragapult control than the kind of traditional Dragapult lists that chat might be used to. Yeah. And then with this type of deck, you mentioned Tool Scrapper, Crushing Hammer, and Malalana, and Clefable. How consistent has it been? Uh, it's built pretty different because you're not... So Jirachi's a bad card now. Jirachi's just not good without the skateboard. It doesn't give you a plus one anymore. It just only gives you... It just, like, it turns your, your scoop-up nets and switches into trainer's mails rather than being a plus-one card. So it's just not, like, something you, you should be playing. So the deck plays, like, two Dedenes and a Crobat instead now, and then more draw supporters, more Marnies, bird keepers. Because at drag, Dragapult, at its core, doesn't need very much. You need two energies and an evolution. So it's like you're not really pressed to draw that much. So cards like Bird Keeper to get a switching effect along with drawing cards usually just get you there or disrupting your opponent with Marnie and then you get your five cards usually enough to just get you there. So would you say a general game plan is just try and find the energy denial and then set up these fables to continue that energy denial and then you kind of go for a loop? Uh, Yeah, against something like Eternatus, yeah. Against... Uh, that's like ADP where they're just kind of aggressive. You just use your energy denial like to the best of you, that you can against like against ADP. It's like you usually don't get too much relevant uh, denial because their deck has metal patch and they're just super aggressive. But your big thing there is if you don't bench Daydays and Crobat, they don't they can't kill a Dragapult in one hit. So you force them to attack four times and you win the trade at that point. And then. And- with Eternatus, yeah. they, they can play Marnie, and other decks that play Marnie, are you worried at all about the hand being disrupted? I, it can be annoying, just like any other deck, but 
you're playing just the same the same amount of outs as anything else. The only thing that you don't have are cherish balls, which are replaced by Pokemon communication. And with stuff like scoop up that communication is pretty much always usable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well there you go. Uh interesting kind of words we're hearing here out of the Tron. Then Katron, before we move you on for the next caller, I do want to ask, so you believe that Dragapult's a tier one. Where would yeah. you rank ADP? ADP is the best deck. So then would you say like, it's I think kind of I think own? ADP is pretty the at least the version that people are playing, the clay version, that version's really inconsistent, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still just that version is the strongest because it has the most ability to hit the turn one GXs and stuff. So it just makes it the strongest and best deck in the format, what consistent or not. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of decks can combat it, and there's like there's flaws with specific decks, like decks like Eternus aren't being exploited the same like the ways they can be. And uh, ADP has some of those similar flaws where the deck's just really bad against erupt disruption they have or choreo and thumbless now that john started playing but not that's like their only way to counteract disruption other than just drawing the card they need mm-hmm. i i do agree with that a lot of um adp lists are really weak to power plant as well yeah and the dragapult deck does play power plant not currently okay uh what's the stadium of choice there it does not play a stadium interesting so yeah I'm, this your article just got released on Poker Beach, so that people can find it there. Yeah. Thank you, Tron, for coming on. I think that was a, pretty interesting. So this this hotline episode very dedicated to bringing back the old concepts. Katron, once again, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, have a good one, my guy. Thanks, Tron. Sure. All right, we're gonna go ahead and drag in the next caller. Interesting takes. I like it. We got some BDIF calls. Uh, obviously, these are not the Ones I was expecting, where someone just comes in, goes, ADP's BDIF, what do we do about it? I like it. Pikaram, Dragapult, yeah. kind of seeing the old meta coming in. Henry, any thoughts before we yeah. drag in the next caller? Um, well, I think it's interesting. We got some, uh, we had everyone coming on with their pet deck and pitching it to us, which I think is uh, pretty fun and interesting. Uh, we get some different takes. And I think, honestly, the with the way that people play so many different lists of decks, I can definitely say uh, the meta's pretty wide open, even if we don't like it. So we're going to get some interesting decks. Let's bring in our next caller. All right, here we go. How's it going? Welcome to the hotline. What's your name and where are you calling from? What's happening? My name's Josh, or Jay Sparksy, and I am from Australia. Jay Sparksy, the man, Oof. Twitch streamer here on the wonderful platform that we are on. What are, what's your topic today? What's the opinion? I don't know your guys' opinion. I want to know your thoughts on the current online format, not in terms of the actual cards themselves, but more in terms of how you think uh, like the pandemic has affected the community as a whole and like tournament play in general. All right, before we answer this, what is, we're going to get to our opinions, but what's your opinion on this? Uh, I talked about it a little bit yesterday. I think that uh, the community has grown more. I think there are more people participating because it's a lot easier to participate. Um, I think uh, online tournaments have obviously grown a lot more. You see the Limitless and the Hexter tournaments are really popping. So that, that sort of thing's happening. I think that the general standard of play has gone down a lot. Um, in particular, we were speaking yesterday about people playing hammers in the best deck in format. It feels like that's a very unskill-based move in general. It's more like, uh, I, would, I think, exactly you're not relying on your skill to win a match. You're relying on winning a match 50% of the time and just saying that's enough, essentially. Mm. 
like yeah i i feel like the general skill level has probably declined a bit um but the the community itself has grown a lot so i think i agree um my fellow australian so i think i touched on this a little bit earlier the the meta itself is also cha- like influenced a lot by the fact that it's online so there's less um there's less on the line there's no championship points you're not putting money into real cards or not putting money to travel things like that you're not taking up as much of your time uh, and so definitely people are more encouraged and more, might be more inclined to play either weird cards in the decks like luck based cards or like even just different decks in general like things that they probably wouldn't play at a competitive tournament uh, but they might want to actually play online and so we see a little bit of a wide and maybe uh very not biased but yeah skewed meta based on that kind of thing and also we've also seen as you said a lot of community growth never had this many online tournaments and it'll be interesting to see if it actually sticks out once uh, real life tournaments come back into play uh, but i can imagine a lot of people's time will be taken up by grinding cups again jinx uh, what do you got what do you got uh for us on this one what do you think i think we touched on this a little bit as the podcast started but obviously more people are here i agree i think that jacob what you or sorry jay what you presented was perfect the community has grown a ton we are seeing a decline in skill which is super sad i think that a lot of top players um are not playing in these events you know the commitment isn't there the drive isn't there i definitely mm. agree i think that it's it's sad in a way but like you mentioned the benefit of the community growing is amazing uh, we see these great organizers you know, putting on these events, the community is growing. These online events are getting bigger. I, th- I think that a lot of people are unmotivated or at least um, people that were really on the grind previously might be unmotivated to continue because there's just not as much incentive like Henry mentioned. Um, and uh, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, you think of the Players' Cup, it's great that we have, you know, four travel awards, but then if you make it through the qualifier stage, through the double elimination 256 bracket and then into the top four and then into an international top 16. If you don't get top four and get the uh, travel award, you walk away with, you know, sleeves and a deck box, which that's cool, but the incentive is just not there. And the incentive that is there is not, you know, it's kind of hard to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Oh, sorry to cut you off, Josh. No, you're uh, right, you're I, want to, right. I want to touch on something as well. I've actually seen a huge rise in the amount of streamers as well um, because of this. So not only the pandemic, we have people shut inside, but at least when it comes to the top players, and I know Tor and I were talking about this in the show, you, Jenks, and a lot of people, there's no incentive to hide decks anymore. You don't have to stream and kind of feel like you're lying to people by not playing what you think is the best deck or whatever. You're like, what's your play? You don't have to hide things anymore for tournaments. And so, like, at least for me, uh, I can stream and actually do the entire deck building process. And I feel like it's uh, people are getting a lot more insight into, like, I guess, top players and just being able to watch them stream, whereas previously they might not have uh, because they can't, I guess, yeah, leak their ideas. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that completely. I just don't think that there's any reason to really hide the deck. You've got open deck list tournaments, so, like, as long as the deck is something that everybody's happy for you to share, then why not? Yeah, to build on exactly, that, yeah. To build on that topic, how do you think it'll translate when or if we get out of this pandemic? Uh, how do you think that translates back like uh this online tournament growth translates to real life tournaments when we eventually get them do you think they'll grow or do you think online tournaments will stick around or do you think it'll go back to normal i think online tournaments will fade a fair bit uh but we'll also see huge rise i think in just the amount of people going to locals like even just non-competitive tournaments people actually just want to play the game again for the sake of it uh, which i think you know myself i haven't been to locals in years but 
that'll be something I probably want to do. Uh, even like league challenges, league cups, people won't really want to play just a lot more again. I think. What do you think, Jenks? I, I, you know, it sucks to say, but I agree. You know, the online community that is, you know, become a thing. It really sucks. Uh, I do agree, Henry, that I think we're going to see a decline in the online play once the game actually comes back. I think it's hard to say when that will be, but um, I agree. I think that, you know, we'll see less tournaments once the incentive comes back. And I guess the best we can hope for is that maybe back start like big sponsors come into the game. These online tournaments get a little bit more popular. And maybe, I think Pokemon mentioned something about... Um, team challenge events or something it's possible that we see pokemon start to promote online play in addition to the regular season potentially uh now that this world has kind of been opened up and you know i would hate to see the growth that's been made go away but i do think that's kind of what's inevitable i do want to add something that's really cool that we haven't touched on yet and uh this applies to myself a little bit but we see content creators coming out of this lots and lots of people uh Top players, you know, regular players, anyone really, the content is booming. And I think that that's mm -hmm. incredible, you know, for the for the game. If it sticks around when the online community kind of goes away a little bit, I think that's huge. Yeah, I think it's great. A um, lot, lot more content creators, you know, a lot of people in general just committing a little bit, a little bit harder to that aspect of Pokemon compared to previously, uh, which is definitely a big positive. And I, I can't imagine that that'll go away that much. Uh, but I know it'll be a little bit difficult to navigate real tournaments again. Yeah, I, I probably agree. I love the the growth in content creation for sure. I think like even seeing like people at Purple Cliff on TikTok, for example, like <laughs> he's gone off on there with his Nuzlocke stuff. All the YouTubers coming out, like everybody's grown so much and there's so many people starting to do it. But I think that will drop off a little bit as well if we get back to real life, essentially, because people will have responsibilities again and they they won't be able to keep content creating to such a an extreme uh like uh what's the word i'm looking for like extreme uh i kind of i'm blanking on the okay. word but like they, they won't be able to content create as much right like yeah. like it just they yeah. won't have the time for it so therefore they like they'll have to stop but yeah i like i have positives and negatives on the content creation side of things mm -hmm. um but like for sure i think it's good for the growth of the game and um I hope the growth sticks around, but I think it will translate more to, to real life play rather than online play. Absolutely. Yeah. Josh, I want to thank you for coming on and voicing your topic. Definitely a great one. And I think we can all agree. We hope that the online community that's been built sticks around and that, you know, out of this pandemic, more people join. It would be great to see Pokemon grow. Any last words before we move on to our next guest? No, just thank you both. I'm loving it. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. And just before just before he goes, everyone, I want to give uh, Sparksy a shout out as well. He streams over at Twitch.tv. Jay Sparksy. He's not here for the promo, but I'm going to give him in, give him it anyway. <laughs> if you want some Bro, entertaining uh, content, go check him out. All right. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, both. Bye. Oh, whoops. Didn't mean to cut him off there. All right. Great topic. I think you know, it's sad the time we're in. We can't really do anything about it, but you know, the world will hopefully get back to where it should be at some point. And hopefully the return of the game comes with it. We're going to go ahead and transition into our next guest. Interesting topic here. We got the man, the myth. Where are you calling from and what's your name? Hey, how's it going? Uh, Long-time fan, first-time caller. <laughs> um, calling in from Cleveland, Ohio. This is Frank. How are you doing, guys? We're doing excellent. Thank you, Frank. How are you going? 
We're going great. We've got a third, uh, I guess, off-meta choice that you're here to talk about. Tell us about it. Yeah, man. I just, I don't know. It's uh, it's late here on the East Coast, and, uh, you know, just wanted to draw, fall down a rabbit hole real quick with this card. I've just been on my mind a lot lately when it comes to Pokemon card game, and that is Milotic V. Okay. How... How familiar are you with it, and you know how do you feel about it? Because um, it's something I, I, I think is good, but it just needs some more some more cooks in the kitchen really to make it anything you know viable. So for the people in chat that might not know, go ahead and tell us you know HP, what it does, some of the attacks. Yeah, so the biggest thing is my it's it does base of of ten damage, and then it does fifty additional damage for each retreat cost that your um, opponent has. And so, you know, with some of these cards, like, um, I don't know, Golar Mine and, like, Absol and uh, a couple other things, you can really, like, start to bump up some some big... When it comes to damage. Um, and especially, you know, these, these big VMAX Pokemon have, like, three retreat, and you put a Glar Mine down, all of a sudden they're at five retreat, and you're swinging for, like, 260 damage, especially um, with, like, ADP being a basic Pokemon and having Absol to add on to that. I think there you can build it in such a way um, that you can pretty much one-shot, like, a lot of stuff in the format, which is re- really, you know, uncommon. And, and Milotic being a Water-type Pokemon, Senescorch VMAX is weak to you. You one-shot that super easily. Um, all of the stuff in ADP is, is pretty easy to one-shot. Um, so I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, and even like being a water Pokemon, it has good synergy with maybe something like Keldeo GX, I think, especially with Eternatus having a big bench and that GX move and, and Pikaram not being able to attack it. I, I think there's something there. I just, I don't know. I think it needs, uh, you know, hashed out a little bit. Okay, those so are, tell me some of the things I like. Tell me how you how are you playing this at least in your head. How are you playing it? Are you talking about Welder? Are we talking about Milotic? And what does it kind of do better than other things? Because the way I think about it, if you're talking like the Eternatus matchup, you can do 260 to Eternatus maybe, but that's not enough to take it out. And I feel like you're going to be losing the prize trade most of the time if you kind of get knocked out first. Yeah, so I had it built really early on, but it had it struggled with Eternatus at first because. Like you just said, like you can't really one shot it very easily, and even with the Keldeo, it's not like you know they have to do like a ton of damage, right? They don't need a full bench, and so they they can make it into a point where your Keldeo doesn't really do much. Um, and it, like early on in the season, they were playing like Hiding Energy and and um, like Dark City, and so their retreat yeah. was then zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I I had a really hard time with Eternatus in the past, and I think that's the biggest hurdle for for the deck. Uh, I was playing it originally with um, Frostmoth just because with wanting to have Galar Mine down as a stadium, the Welder Engine is really hurt by not being able to use. Um, not being able to use um, Giant Hearth. And so I, I haven't tried it with the, the Welder Engine, and I'm sure there's some cute stuff you could do with, like, various fire attackers or, you know, even normal attackers like Double or, or Cramoran or something like that, right? Um, but right now I just have, 
and in my head as, as a melodic deck that can probably do really good against Scorch and ADP and a lot of these other things in the meta. Um, but I think cracking the Eternatus matchup is, is it's a big hurdle for the deck. But I think as a card, mm. as something that has a lot of potential, I just don't know where it goes. I see another problem as well. I think it kind of feels like almost the deck seems good in like ideal situations, whereas ADP a lot of the time can play cards like 1-2 to two Air Balloon. They can be played Chaotic Swell. Uh, those are cards that you obviously have problems with. Like You can play Tool Scrapper, but it still gives you a bit of trouble. And I feel like there's a lot of situations where my loaded could probably feel a little bit sh- uh, fall a little bit short. Um, Jenks, what do you reckon? I think some of the points that you just brought up are actually really good. Uh, Air, Balloon, Air Balloon being popular, I know that a lot of decks play off a of Switch Engine, but Chaotix well as well. Not a card we see a whole lot of, but definitely if this were to become a potential, you know, very strong deck in the format, it could be something that could be considered. So I think you have the surprise factors definitely on your side. I would agree with you, Frank, that. You know, you got Absol and you got uh, Galar Mines, these really cool cards that people don't actually think about. And I do think something that definitely hurts it is we've kind of moved away from the Jirachi engine uh, now that a skateboard is not around. So, like I mentioned earlier, Switch and the other things are a lot more present, making, you know, potentially a bonus benefit of the deck going away in that huge retreat cost things get trapped. But I see, I can see the numbers. I think it makes sense. And um, I think my main thing is why this over ADP? And I think like even ADP with Melodic, right? You could just, uh, one Melodic helps your Senna Scorch matchup, which is a little tough to begin with. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I, I saw a little bit earlier on that, that ADP um, decks were, were playing Melodic. I know I think Chip or somebody might have done a big stream on it when they were doing the Atlas Pog Championships. That was a tech that a lot of people have and I don't know. I, I think with um, ADP and, and Zashin, I guess, I just kind of wanted something, like you said, that had more of a surprise factor or something people aren't used to playing against or something that can take you know different routes because I feel like now, as the format stands, people are doing everything they can to counter ADP. So a deck like this, and, and Henry, like you were saying, is something that's very... I would call it fragile in the fact mm. that there are a lot of cards that can just ruin what you're doing. Like um, chaotic swell for one, isn't something we see right very often, but is a card that can like hurt you so bad. So it's, it's like one of those decks that um, I would consider for like a, a one of tournament, like maybe like the top two fifty six round of the players cup or something like that, where you're going to have to have your deck list in beforehand or you can't really adapt to any changes in the meta um and it is a deck too that would probably like you said for air balloon have to play you know multiple copies of, of tool scrapper or or just math it out with like an extra absol or something like that um i think it's a deck that you'd have to do in like a one-off tournament but i just feel like adp i guess has such a, a big target on its back that i wanted something that could do something similar in the fact that i guess you're just taking like these quick knockouts and one shots obviously you don't get the altered creation and and maybe that is a deck right like just adp mylotic not even adp sashin with a mylotic i I know there were some lists like in japan when um that set came out when mylotic came out that were playing adp mylotic and doing fairly well with it um but i don't know i think it's just one of those things that maybe i just would like to 
see more people maybe just expand on you know past just myself i guess for sure yeah no it's definitely some food for thought uh thank you for coming in and dropping a bit of wisdom about uh the big my Lodic. it is a nice pokemon so it'd be nice if the card itself was good <laughs> and hopefully we'll see some content on it on undaunted possibly yeah oh man um there's a lot of, of exciting stuff coming out actually i i, I think um that's definitely something I want to do. We just have like so much in the the works that it, it might even be a while before you were to see something just because we have like so much in the queue, I guess. Mm-hmm. So super excited for that. Thanks mm-hmm. for bringing that up. No problem. Absolutely, Frank. Thanks, thanks for man. coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So for everyone in the podcast, we're going to go ahead and move on to our last two callers, and then we're going to do a little bit of a wrap-up. So we got two great callers with interesting takes. The first one I want to do, I'm going to do it a little short because we've covered a lot of this already. I'm going to go ahead and drag him in. How's it going? Where are you calling from and what's your name? And I need to talk about Rogue decks. All right, so... All right, we missed missed your name, (laughs) but uh, if you could say it again. Oh, it's Drayden. All right, good to have you. Thank you. Um, so I'm just looking at tournament results and I have a list of like 16 different decks that have like popped up and had a tournament result and then like no one talks about them and they're just like really weird decks that clearly like, I feel like if they were explored more, they could have more viability, but like, like if you think of like Weezing and the Sun Moon to Unbroken Bonds meta, I feel like all of these are like Weezing tier. And Weezing, you know, it it pops up and then it's, you know, a lot more people tried out and it was like a niche deck. It had its fan base. Mm. But I feel like so many right now, I feel like control like rogue decks are actually like really good. There are a lot of them like I look no uh Luke Moore says hyping up Turgle V as one of the best decks. And obviously, based on the calls that you've had already today, there are quite a lot of people who think that there is a rogue deck that is, like, the best deck in the format. And I think that a lot of these decks are, like, really good, but they just, like, pop up at one event, and then they kind of, like, fizzle out after a couple days, and no one talks about them again. I'll give you some examples, mm -hmm. like Bird Trio, Torkoal V, Tina Chomp, um, Aeropod, even. Um, Inteleon, to some extent, is kind of dying. Okay, well, I think we're going to start with a couple things. So as you said, I think I was talking about this earlier, uh, the meta is almost like artificially diverse because of the, all the tournaments are online. So again, I've been saying there's meta, lower stakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are generally bored. Like the top decks aren't really enjoyable to play, right? ADP, Eternatus, you don't sit down and go, I'm really excited to play my game of ADP. I'm going to alter creation. Oh, this is going to be great. Like you don't really sit down and do that. And I think that incentivizes people to play different decks and be, try new things and have a bit of fun, especially because there's not much on the line. And at least to me, deck building is like probably the most enjoyable part of Pokemon, especially now when the gameplay has definitely diminished a little bit. I think that's one factor. But also a lot of rogue decks, um, often they'll pop up once and then not pop up again because they actually have a lot of counterplay that people might not realize in the first time. And so let's take a deck like Torkoal. Uh, I feel like people who play like blindly into it and just don't worry about the energy discard or try and rush it over, um, even gets the decks like Luga Metal, who, when decks try and rush it uh they have much better games against those players because uh, they just don't play around the what the deck's actually trying to do whereas at least when you play against let's say you play against torkoal let's say you're playing mewtwo i played the matchup the other day if you kind of go slower you make sure you get good use out of victini v and reset stamp they're only going to get one one hit ko maybe with a heat trend throughout the game and so you're able to kind of play around uh their game plans a lot easier since they're going in 
hoping that people don't really know what they're doing. And I think that's a big reason. Um, Jenks, what do you think? Well, I think my main point here is going to be the meta evolves. Well, maybe evolves not the word, but it changes so fast. You see a deck pop up. Let's take the Tina Chomp deck, for example. You see the, the Tina Chomp greens, and you see the Tina Chomp fighting deck. Um, I know I uploaded my own version with like a Mewtwo spin on it. So you get this deck. It does well. Um, like Henry was mentioning, there's a lot of counterplay to some of these rogue decks that do come out. It's like a one-time thing. And then all of a sudden, content is just pushed on this deck. Everyone covers it because it's the new hot thing. People play it, people test it, and then, you know, the next tournament comes. If it underperforms, it's gone. If it performs again, you see it again. And uh, I haven't paid super close attention to some of the more rogue decks that you're mentioning, mentioning Drayden, but I feel like the the way that the decks in the format just evolve, these rogue decks really don't have time really don't. to shine. My biggest thing is that, like, I feel like some of these decks, like the Tina Trump one, the Tina Trump one, I feel like, you can play. You have so many options of cards that you could play in that deck, and it does have a lot of versatility in the way that you can build it. I don't feel like it only wins in a specific, like against a specific set of decks and a very strict meta. But I feel like in the online setting, it's not being explored as much by the same caliber of players as it would be if it were being uh, tested in for real events. Like like you you're saying with state more stakes on the line obviously that encourages people to play weirder decks but on the same on the other side i think that if a deck like tina chomp does well at an event i think more good players will give it a chance and try to make it work if it has something to offer in real events and i feel like those there's a lot of options like that that just aren't being explored yeah i agree i think there's also a another side to what, like that that you're saying as well is that since people aren't testing the decks as much like that, most of the testing kind of gets done just bashing against the ladder. People might not actually put that much time into their things, so they might not discover the problems with it. And so I've definitely played a couple of decks where, you know, you play against ladder and people kind of just do whatever, and then, you know, you end up finding the problems with the deck later on, like the counterplay, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, another thing as well is that it's best of one in a lot of these online tournaments, whereas a lot of these rogue decks, if they don't have strategies, as I was saying, people might not know how to play against them and they won't learn, right? It's a best of one. In a best of three, people will be like, okay, this is what happened game one. This is what my opponent wants to do. Let's see if I can play around that uh, rather than just kind of playing what I do every game. And so I think that's one of the factors that, again, pops up. Best of one is a big thing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's for sure. I think um prime example is like the Alice events are all best of three, right? And um, mm -hmm. there's so much more extra drill on those events than... Yeah, I've see, I see in any of the other events, and I think it, the be, having everything be best of one base, like 90% of events currently are best of one, I think that definitely completely changes the meta. Yeah, yeah there's absolutely no dispute that the meta is different, looks different now than what it would be if we had a big IRL tournaments. so. Yeah, and some of the last points I want to put on this topic, I think it's a great topic, um, you know, it's kind of like a, a League Cup versus Regionals meta, right? You see certain decks dominate mm. in the League Cup area. But then best of three, like you mentioned with the Atlas, see different decks perform. And I think also the motivation is just low. Uh, it's sad to say, but I think that people are spending less time on decks. So, you know, it's kind of up to the content creators or the people that put a ton of time into deck to kind of promote these things. You know, we saw Isaiah Bradner specifically starting to push new concepts on his Twitch. You see the ADP Persian. You saw his take on Tina Chomp, uh, Clay ADP even, um, you know, 
toward two. A lot of people are starting to innovate these concepts, but these are people that are like streaming. They're putting the time into the game, and I think that's probably just why uh, a lot of these rogue decks aren't appearing. And then Ian and Michael coming on here with their own spin on decks, they've probably put a lot of time into it. I know that Katron has been testing that Dragapult variant for probably months now at this point. Uh, he first brought up the Clefable a long time ago, and I mean, I think that's kind of the last point I want to drive home on this topic, but I think simple answer is motivation to find you know these new decks is low and people just kind of net deck um content creators that talk about them yeah definitely thanks a lot Drayden, for coming along thanks for uh, thanks for a great topic uh, it's been great Thank having you. you on all right and for the last caller of the night here we go what's your name and where are you calling from all right is this thing on yep <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my name is Thomas Seward, and I am calling from Coke. We missed that. Was it Florida? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cocoa, Florida. All right, awesome. What's the topic? So my topic is uh, choosing a deck to play for a tournament and why it should be a deck that you know instead of a deck that is, quote-unquote, the play for the tournament. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I mean by that is kind of like, yeah, everyone, you know, if you play this game enough, you have this pet deck that you like to play, but it might have like a bad matchup or two. So you might you might be tempted to hop onto a deck that counters what it, what the popular deck is for a tournament, but that that may not be a good idea because you you don't have any practice with that deck. Um, and uh, most most importantly, what I think is you should have fun with the deck that you play for a tournament. Like if you just hop onto a random deck that you've never played before just because it's quote-unquote the play and you misplay a bunch of times and you lose because of it you're you're not having fun you're you're being miserable like so even i even, agree with that yeah yeah and um, i think i think yeah, it, yeah go, uh, go on go on here yeah so i think you bring some interesting points um i definitely agree with this more in the past than i do at the moment um the game feels a lot more simplified compared to previously where you actually had to really know your matchups in and out right you couldn't just sit down and like just know how it should play out straight away whereas things like adp you know like most of the turnless matchups you really don't need to do too much preparation to actually play these decks optimally um especially if you could have a good like base base and grounding in the game so obviously like i think especially if you're a newer player this that kind of uh advice definitely should be followed uh but i think people are playing it a really long time and uh, kind of know how the ins and outs of the game go. They'd they'd be much more um, suited, or I guess able to pick up a deck on the fly. Um, but even just in general, for people nowadays, the game feels simplified to the point where I think you can kind of do whatever, uh, at least more than you could in the past. But I think if you're going into a long tournament where mental fatigue comes into play as well, it's really good to be able to like have know how to do things very second nature. I think a big difference too is depends on your mindset. Uh, if you're going into a tournament to win. You kind of have to conform to, you know, unless you have a concept that you've tested and you love that might be a little rogue, kind of have to conform to some of the top decks. And um, I guess it really just depends on the mindset, right? Because there have been times where I go into a tournament and I hate the deck I'm playing. In fact, a lot of tournaments, I don't like the deck I'm playing and it works out a lot more. And I think it's probably just because the deck I have has solid de testing background and, you know, um, people that I work with, I trust really hard and it just kind of works out sometimes the deck I don't like works out but I think Henry is probably one of the greatest examples of pe people playing stuff that's fun uh, coming in with these wacky Mewtwo ideas he just loves the card I mean there's 
I don't know if there's much else to it. It's a it's a strong card, but people disregard it all the time. And then Henry's like, "Hey, this is still good," and then brings it back. And then everyone talks about it. And um, yeah, I think I think this like uh, Henry mentioned, this question is super different for you know now versus previously. Uh, mm. As someone in chat says, the format right now is: Do you want to win or do you want to have more fun? Um, yeah, it definitely. And but what what I'm saying is, uh, it doesn't have to be a rogue deck to be to be like the deck that you play like for me I've, I've focused on different like meta decks and i've just learned those back and forth like i was on roxy chomp for the longest time i was on zapdos for the longest time uh will you you've uh seen this firsthand i played against you at collinsville i was playing ultra necrozma yeah uh, may, probably wasn't the the call for the tournament like i i, I got bopped pretty hard by you and playing Tism. <laughs> uh but i i i still felt confident in it that I could do pretty good and at least like make day two with it, even though I didn't. Mm -hmm. But if I if I had just jumped on to like if I had played Tism or if I had played Stall with that, I probably wouldn't have had had any any idea of like what I was doing or how to jump on certain matchups. Like, and yet you you do have to take into consideration also that a lot of people that play this game, like if it were if it's quote unquote deck worth the play, then everyone will be jumping onto it. But a lot of people just don't have like money for cards or time to put in with these decks, mm -hmm. so. Like like me, I'm I'm full time student. I have like three part time jobs, uh, so I just pick like a meta deck and I just try to stick with it if I really enjoy it. Like currently, I'm on I'm on Luke Metal. That's the only deck I'll touch in standard. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not not completely rogue. I do throw some twists in it just for the heck of it. But you know, I have fun with it. Sure, you take a hard loss to Senna Scorch and Blounds and probably Welder Mewtwo, but. I mean, you get you get solid matchups everywhere else, and you have fun doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, honestly, uh, I'm kind of a decent case for this kind of play what you're comfortable with and that. Uh, pretty much every format, like every three months, you know, each format, I pretty much play one deck and stick with it, like just in general. And uh, this reminds me very much of EUIC last year leading into that. Uh, I played Zoroark for like my entire existence. Essentially, if you go to like Limitless, it's literally just Zoroark, 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 Zoroark for like the longest time until Mewtwo. But uh, I go into that event. And I'm like, I thought to myself, okay, well, Peak is the best deck in format, right? I know it's probably the best play, but people have been playing it for so long now, like three months, right? I've got what two weeks to learn, and I'd have, I just didn't feel like I'd be as confident in playing the Mirror Mash than I would just playing Zoroark. And so I think that's like a decent thing where I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna play what I'm comfortable with, so I enjoy. Um, and generally in, in other things, I've felt that you know this might be the best deck for the tournament but whether this is a, a good thing or i'm just being stubborn like i often refuse to play certain decks like adp keldeo i just like wouldn't touch because it just i wanted to fall asleep i'm the ex i'm the exact like, same way <laughs> yeah and at the end of the day like it can work out well for you it can work out bad for you but uh, i think in the past definitely comfort paid off a whole lot um whereas but i might have to rethink that kind of i guess uh bias and personality trait i've got going on at the moment so i think Definitely not. Uh, not all formats are made equal. And before we wrap this one up, I I can agree. Um, there have definitely been times where I didn't go with a deck I didn't like. A uh, good example, like Henry was mentioning, Zoroark and Mewtwo, Pikaram. You know, I've played Pikaram for probably over a year now. It wasn't always the best play. It worked out a lot of the times, but uh, that Pog Championship event, not many people thought that Pikaram was even in contention. And sure enough, we rolled with it. We didn't think it was the best deck in the room. We thought ADP was probably the best, but. We didn't, you know, we just wanted to stick with what we know. Um, I, in San Diego, when Justin Bokari won with the Tina Chomp deck, it was presented to me and I didn't like it. I was like, I don't think I'm going to do well with this deck. I'm, I'm here to, you know, get points, play what I know, and I ended up going with ADP. 
it didn't go so hot, but you know, I was happy that I stuck to what I knew and what I believed in. And I think that that's definitely important. I think your point is great. And for anyone out there that needs that, you know, boost of comfort, it's okay to play a deck that's not the best. Rogue decks or even tier two, tier three decks are perfectly viable in pretty much every format. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, it was a really good topic and you had a lot of good points to say. So I hope you keep sticking with decks that you enjoy rather than just following the herd. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> thanks for Have a good one. On, Thomas. I would say successful first first episode we got a lot of great callers on some definitely some hot takes you know the hot line hot takes goes well together we got some decks that people weren't expecting we got to engage chat a little bit um i apologize for the muted there this show is not necessarily catered towards the chat more so the in-game viewers or sorry in call viewers um, but, you know, definitely I encourage everyone in chat, if you have a topic and a hot take or any take, an opinion to, you know, maybe on the next episode, go ahead and join in, voice your opinion. We'd love to have you guys. And I'm going to pass it to Henry for any closing thoughts. All right. Well, I think there's a sick idea. Thanks, uh, Will. It was, of course, your brainchild. Uh, so thanks for getting me on and having me as the co-host for this, uh, the rest of this kind of show. I think it was great to have a lot of people on. We had some interesting things. We got to talk a lot about... Uh, I guess people had their own pet decks that they wanted to come on and talk about. It was great. And we had chat commenting on it all the way through. Um, it's good to get some people on. We even had an Australian on. So hopefully we keep having this uh, and keeps going well. And I hope everyone in the chat enjoyed. Absolutely. And that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for coming in to the calls, for being in chat. Appreciate you guys being on. That's going to wrap it up for us. Starting next week or the week following, probably next week, we're going to start to have special guests. So, be sure to be engaged on the social medias. I will, I'm sure I'll be tweeting out or even in the Discord. If you guys have any of your favorite players that you want to see on, we would love to have them. It's a little hard to get players from Europe based on the time that we have to work with. But, you know, players from Australia, North America, you know, any really any region. It just kind of depends on the guests themselves. But if there's any guests that you would love to see on as a third host, we're going to start doing that next week. We wanted to take the first episode to kind of just be Henry and I working with, you know, the idea. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be it for us. Have a good night, guys, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks, guys.